Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy Church. And hey, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Can we take just a second and thank all of the moms in the room for all the ways they serve our families? Man. I, I just know this is the hardest job on planet Earth. And the way that I know it's the hardest job on planet Earth is that none of y'all are gonna argue with me about that statement, right? Because it's not like you're gonna stand up and say, no, my job's harder. I don't think so. Uh, but listen, today carries with it a lot of, a lot of emotion. Hopefully there's celebration and, and honor being given to mothers, but man, it just is a reflection of how powerful motherhood is uh, that so many emotions come through with it. And, and maybe you're um, in that space where you are grieving a little bit. And maybe it's because you are not not a mom yet, and you've longed to be. Uh, maybe you're like me and Courtney, we lost a child in miscarriage, and so there's some, some grieving that comes uh, with each Mother's Day because of that. Or maybe your mom has already, um, already gone on, and so you just feel a little bit of that. That just all the more reflects how powerful this role of motherhood is. And I'll tell you, if that's you, um, uh, the, the Lord loves you and the, uh, the church body loves you as well. In fact, Mother's Day was originally um, started as a way to honor spiritual mothers in the faith. A couple of Christians started it as a way to honor spiritual mothers in the faith. And Courtney, every year, she sends a card to a, um, a woman in her life, 60-year-old single woman who discipled her um, for many, many years, Bonnie Trum, and she sends her a card every Mother's Day to honor her spiritual mother in the faith. And I hope that's something you take the time to do, and it's an encouragement towards y'all um, in our church that we will love one another well as the family, which is a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. I got one more thing I want to say before I get into um, our sermon for today, and that's kind of an update on where we're headed as a church this summer. Um, our Independence Campus is going to be going to one service time at 1030 for our summer. It's uh, something we've done. We did our first year when we planted Mercy Church, and since um, planting another location at Providence Road, uh, this is something we're going to take a step to do over the summer. So that'll be at, at 1030 will be our worship time there at our Independence Campus. It'll give us a chance to do some trainings you're going to be hearing about at nine o'clock to prepare for the fall. But I want you to be aware of that. All right. Now, with that said, I want you to take your Bibles out, make your way over to Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two. So uh, if you're newer to scripture, you know, we got a lot of new folks that are newer to the Bible coming in off of, of Easter still. Um, Acts chapter, if you go to Acts, you're looking at New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. It's going to be your fifth book as you get started in the New Testament. Today, we are talking about something very, very personal to me, um, very important to me, something that I have and will continue to give my whole life's work to. It is a vision that captivated me as a college senior, and I just, I just haven't been able to let it go. The story of Scripture is the story of God coming to rescue and redeem his people. You know, maybe the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, it says he loves these people. <laughs> he loves the world so much, so much that he died for them. And the New Testament paints this incredible image of a redeemed 
people living in this um, interdependent community with one another. That they were mostly living in extreme poverty, yet they were meeting one another's needs with joy and with sacrifice. They were displaying Christ to one another. They were going out and sharing the great hope of Christ with the world. They were persecuted. They were tortured. They were killed together by their enemies, and yet their movement could not be stopped. They were the most bizarre loving, unusual, sacrificial community the world had ever seen. And the more I studied the church in scripture, the body and bride of Christ, radiating with joy and sacrificial love, changing the world for good, each of them so confident in where they stood with Christ that they could joyfully give their lives to something greater than themselves. The more I saw that, the more I wanted to be a part of that. And Jesus called this group of people. He looked at them doing all of this with their lives, sacrificing their lives for them, and he called them his bride. He promised to never leave it. He promised nothing would ever overcome it. He promised that he would be, God would somehow be present among these people. His spirit would unite them together in this supernatural way with one another. And he fiercely, fiercely loves these people. See, guys, God loves the church. He loves it so much that he, re- that he refused, even when the church was at its worst, he refused to separate himself from the church. And I was just drawn in to that vision of the church. Here's the thing. I was drawn into what I saw in scripture, but I hadn't seen it myself ever before. <laughs> I had seen the church with hollow words and unspoken agendas and biases. Uh, maybe you, like me, have been disappointed by the church at some point or another. Uh, I knew church as a building and as a religious routine, and in a couple of places, a, a place of pain. But I read Jesus' words, and he says, the church is his bride. And so I knew that I couldn't have Jesus without also having the church. So I started praying, God Help me be a part of, help me to build this kind of church. And y'all, I've been praying, dreaming, and working for that for the past 15 years of my life. And I believe, what I'm telling you today is I believe there is great hope for the church. Great hope for it. And my belief in that, where my hope comes from, is resting solely on how powerful God is and how much he says he loves it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In this series on following Jesus, we've got a couple of weeks left. Today, I want to paint for you a picture of what the church should be, okay? What the church should be according to Scripture. That's why we're going to be in that Acts 2 passage. Let me connect it with um, where we're going to go, kind of show you my outline for today. We're going to go back to this thing in the following Jesus series we've been calling the Gospel Wheel, kind of our roadmap for um, walking in the Christian faith, for following Jesus. And look, community is the thing we're going to hit today. And what I want you to see, what my whole outline is going to be today, okay? Whole outline is going to be our identity first is in what God says about us in Christ, in who we are. And then out of who we are as followers of Christ, ones who have received this great hope of Christ, how do we then interact with one another? with others who have experienced um, this great hope, this great redemption in Christ. So what you're gonna see is community is gonna flow out of, the way we love one another is gonna flow directly out of, it's gonna be powered by how God has shown his love and demonstrated his love for us. All right, that's why that is everything about today, all of our um, resources and our community group discussions, everything on thegospelwheel.com is trying to connect those dots for us. 
that everything that the way we interact with one another is direct, it's modeled by Christ and it is fueled by Christ's love for us. That's what we're going after this morning, okay? Um, and I want you to go ahead and jump over there. I'm gonna show you um, our vision, Acts 2. I mean, I'm gonna try and show you our vision for what Mercy Church is trying to become. And I hope you leave today marveling at how much God loves and treasures the local church. Because when we talk about community, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the church. And I hope you have a conviction that comes out of today. I hope God's spirit convicts you that you, you open yourself to just listening and God's spirit convicts you to some kind of response. And, and listen, if you're in this space of going, well, I'm not really a Christian, so I just kind of here with a friend to check things out. Well, actually, that's all the better because you're actually getting to hear from scripture what the church should be what it's kind of going towards instead of what maybe some um, newsreel footage you saw about the, the church at its worst. You can at least see what God calls the church to be. It's never gonna be perfect. We're gonna talk about that, but you'll get to see what it's actually setting out to be and measure your experience against scripture. So here's our outline. Like I said, who the church is and then what the church does. That's the outline for today, all right? Um, identity and then practice. And Acts 2 will be our main spot. I'll pull from a couple other places, but that's our, our main spot, okay? So let me read the whole um, passage for you, okay? Acts 2, 42 through 47. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs are being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Y'all, I told you this particular a little section of scripture is one of the most impactful um, in my whole life. But I need to say this, this wonderful picture is only, it, it is just a picture, okay? It's describing what a group of people did in response to the gospel. It is not a one-to-one -one prescription for what we are to do, but by and large, it does prove to be a model of what happens when we follow Jesus together as a local church. And everything we're going to see in the rest of the New Testament letters are going to kind of reflect onto that and then start issuing prescriptions out of it, okay? But Acts is, of course, describing what happened in the local church. So we're going to do a little um, investigative Bible study, okay? Go back up. Now that I've read it, back up to verse 42, all right? And you're looking at verse 42. In verse 42, he's going to start with the word they. To get your mind around this, you got to understand who they are. Whenever you see that in the Bible, a pronoun or a therefore, you got to go back to what it's talking about, okay? So who are they? Well, right before this verse, there's, this is, again, these are kind of a, this is a summary picture. You, right before this, you got Peter, the apostle Peter, preaching a, a sermon to a large crowd, uh, all of Jews who have come together, though, from every nation under the earth. It says every nation under heaven. Peter's preaching the gospel to them, and now they hear the gospel that Jesus, who they killed, was actually dying for their sins, but he didn't stay dead. God raised him up. Death couldn't hold him, and Peter's finishing line is, this is so good, man. Peter was just going in. He said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know. That's all these Jews from every nation who are now here. Know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Yeah. So this group of Jews, 
that have heard about the risen Jesus and what this means from every nation in the known world. Here's what they respond, verse 37. When they hear this, they were pierced to the heart. And they replied, said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So then they, they do. <laughs> they okay, turning from my sin, believing that Christ died for my sins. Now I'm reconciled to God the Father because he rose from the grave. He had victory over death. I now share in that victory. Death doesn't have a hold on me anymore. And then verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Okay, first church, day one, Peter preaches about a 10-minute sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Now we, got a, now we got a church. And I want you to see what the church is first. And here's the first thing you see in this. The church is believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know how simple that sounds. I want you to hang with me. It's very, very important. The church and again, the reason I keep saying the word church, when you see community in that wheel, something we're called to walk into, that's what, that is church, okay? The church, according to scripture, is made up of those who believe they need saving from their sin and they find that salvation in Christ. That has some huge implications for us, doesn't it? The church is a body of people who share this common belief in the gospel. In other words, it's a group of Christians, which means... This is, listen, this is really important and often illuminating for those that, if you're one of those that grew up around church, this is big for you. God makes abundantly clear in scripture that you are not a Christian just because you grew up around Christianity, all right? Proximity to Christianity doesn't make you a Christian, nor does your list of spiritual and moral accomplishments. I've known many who've gone through life um, kind of with a set of, all right, I went through some spiritual rituals as a child, and then I've tried to live a good life where I do enough good to outweigh the bad that I do. And that combination of childhood rituals plus decent level of morality makes me a Christian and makes me accepted before God. That's not true. All right, that's really important. I'm not knocking either of those things, all right? They are deeply personal and valuable things. Those childhood rituals are evidences of your parents' faith and their hope for you. I'm just saying we gotta measure our faith by Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. And some of you have kind of wandered out of your parents' faith into adulthood, and you might call yourself a Christian, but you've never responded to the gospel like these first believers did. If not, listen, you can do that today, and maybe that's where the disconnect has been, maybe for years. You think, I know church is important, but I don't know, man. I just feel like there's a disconnect, and I'm just missing something in it. Maybe it's that you've been missing the gospel, that the people who call themselves the church, the people who are followers of Jesus, have given their lives fully to him, have turned from their sin and said, Lord, everything I have is yours. That's the thing that fuels all of this, which actually leads me right to the next thing I want you to see in Acts 2, 42 through 47 about the church. The church is forgiven sinners who are walking in grace and truth. I need this one to sink in because otherwise we could have a very romanticized view of the church. Listen, this passage paints with a broad brush about what the church could be like. That's intentional. It's important. Our author Luke is trying to, to show us, man, this is what they were doing and what, what the church could be like. 
But listen, the church wasn't full at that moment of perfect people. It was full of forgiven sinners. And the only evidence you need is to go over to 1 Corinthians, a couple of books later in the Bible, if you wanna see all that and more. Paul is writing to a church that has really gotten things messed up and he's providing correction, that kind of correction that he's like, I really didn't think I needed to say this, guys, but apparently I do. Um, you know, there were arguments and factions being made over who their favorite teacher was. There were people suing each other in the church and going to court against each other. First Corinthians 5, there's a, a guy is sleeping with his father's wife. Yeah, you can start to do the tree there. At best case, it's his stepmom, but it's most likely not the case, all right? And Paul's like, really? Do I got to tell you this too? Listen, what you see throughout Corinthians and throughout the New Testament, God doesn't celebrate sin, but he does offer, man, he offers forgiveness to us. And so the church should be marked by humility and forgiveness, by love for sinners, because we are sinners. You stick around Mercy Church. Let's just get real, let's get honest for a minute. You stick around Mercy Church long enough. I've got one promise, okay? Somebody's gonna disappoint you. That's like the one thing I can guarantee. I can guarantee it about any church. I can guarantee it about mercy. Be real candid. I know that I, Spence, have let some of you down. And I know that because we've sat down and we've gone through conflict together. I'm not the perfect pastor. That's Jesus. <laughs> and you're not the perfect church. You're not the perfect church member, okay? That only exists in heaven. So God says to us in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another, actively taking that step. Just as God, where do we get it from? Just as God also forgave you in Christ. I told you who we are comes out of what Christ has done for us. So here's what, listen, I recognize that we are in a kind of a, a mobile culture and I recognize that we may have people for on average three to four years, especially if you're in your um, that stage of life, that kind of young professional stage where you're here for a job, but you might move on. Let me just say this. Here's what you look for in a church. Do people grieve their sin? And do they repent to one another? Do they forgive one another? I had this very personally. I let uh, a couple in our church, I let them down uh, recently and they needed help in their marriage. I was the one who said, hey, let me step in and let me help. They asked me for help and I offered it and then I just didn't get around to it. And I, I could list off excuses, but I, at the end of the day, I let them down. And I hurt their trust in the church because their pastor let them down. And I had to sit down with them in their kindness. They asked me to go and sit down and I had to just apologize. I just sit there and seek forgiveness. And that wasn't easy for them to give. It crushed me. I mean, think about what's going on in that moment. I'm the one that's supposed to be shepherding them and they're really shepherding me. And God did a number on me in that moment. Um, and that's that when, when I do repent, as huge of a hit to my pride as it is, and to think, oh man, that maybe my whole world's collapsing now because it's coming out that I'm not the perfect guy, which of course is a lie that's just being fed in here. Man, when I, when I repent, I too can receive the message of grace and I can feel it. And somebody else can be Christ for me and can draw me back to the love of God the Father. Listen, you find a church that preaches the gospel clearly and practices gospel forgiveness and repentance, and you lock in there. It will change your life. Participating in good local church life is the most powerful thing on earth. 
But here's the catch. You'll never experience the beauty of the gospel that Jesus designed the church for until you are close enough to others that they can disappoint you. You catch that? And they will. That's the tough part. At some point, if you're as close as you should be to be able to experience and offer the love of Christ, somebody's gonna disappoint you and you're gonna disappoint them. And when that happens, will you choose to put into practice the gospel that you've come to believe that the church is built on? I told you that's why the hub of the wheel is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it fuels the way that we interact with each other, even and especially in the tough moments. The way we say it around here is that we approach all of our relationships like this. I'm a sinner first and I'm sinned against second. Which means in that moment where somebody disappoints me, I gotta remember, I gotta go back to that hub of the wheel that is the gospel and say, I was first a sinner. Christ forgave me out of that love in response to that love. Being satisfied in my soul by that love, I can now turn and forgive someone who sins against me. Y'all, that is simple. It's supposed to be. God made it that way. That doesn't make it easy. It will reveal where you've been spending your time on your own. That's the church though. If you can't admit you're a sinner, there's really no spot for you in the church. But if you can gather in and say, listen, I've got sin. I got sin and I don't even, I don't want it. And the struggle's real because I see the world around me is broken, but even more, I'm coming to see that I'm broken on the inside and I sin against my family, my friends. I realize that in all that, I'm sinning against God too and I need help then you're ready to be a part of the local church when you're, when you're messed up like that because that's who we are. The church is not a resort for the healthy. It's a hospital for the sick. It's sinners who have found a never-ending source of grace in the love of God for us given to us through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Those two, uh, there's just a couple of ways I want you to think about our identity in Christ. I'm gonna share a lot more about the church, but I want that on your mind who we are, believers, fully following, seeking to, knowing at the same time as we're fully surrendered to Jesus, we're gonna mess up along the way because we're still um, stained by sin when we're walking together, believers walking in grace and truth. Now I wanna move into what what the church does. What rhythms do these believers rejoicing in their forgiveness, what do they practice in everyday life? And yes, As we do that, I want you to be thinking, what am I missing out on? Where does my life not square with what I'm seeing in scripture? That's a good thing for us. I told you the Bible, talk about last week, the Bible is the book that kind of reads you. And I want you to take a good look at that um, of what could be. Again, that's that gospel wheel connection. You go into uh, thegospelwheel.com, what you're gonna see is an assessment to help you kind of ask some questions, really personally evaluate your life and take what I'm saying just in a few moments here and really work it out uh, in your own and then with your community group. Um, The first thing I'm gonna show you might seem like the simplest thing I say all morning, but it starts to have very practical, very important implications. Let's look back at our passage. I'm gonna highlight some things for you, okay? Um, They devoted themselves. So already we're seeing um, plural. They devoted themselves to, they're doing this together, to the apostles' teaching. Look, to the fellowship, that's the gathering of the believers, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and to prayer, they're praying together. Verse 44, all believers were together, 
held all things in common. Verse 46, they devoted themselves, devoted, committed, gave themselves to meeting together in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Here's the first thing I want you to see that the church does. We looked at what the church is. First thing the church does, the church commits to gathering together. I told you, it's such a simple concept, but so vital. When you experience the life transformation that comes in Christ, one of the most comforting and powerful parts of becoming a Christian is that God saves you into the church. We have this powerful shared identity. In fact, the, the New Testament uses a couple of pretty, um, I, don't, I don't know how else to say this, some binding metaphors to talk about who we are. The most common one is the one um, that where Jesus says, it's the one Jesus gave the church. He says the church is a family. And that may trigger good or bad emotions in you. I don't know, but Jesus says that's what we are. And every time Paul addresses believers in his letters, he addresses us as brothers and sisters, family. Because there is a commitment that we're supposed to have to one another that is tighter than our bloodline family bonds. He actually uses an even stronger metaphor, though, to describe how we're bound to one another. He goes deeper. He calls us the body. <laughs> we, are, we are all the body of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You are the body of Christ, church, and individually, you are all members of it. Christ is the head. Each one of us are body parts. And he paints this um, really cool picture of the church working together. You think like Voltron or whatever would be the right um, equivalent to a bunch of different pieces working together, depending on one another, so that the whole thing can glorify Christ. But a body needs every part. Get your, your mind. Listen, if you're a Christian, you are now a body part, all right? Um, the body only works if all the parts are present and active. The shoulder can't be saying, man, I haven't seen elbow in three weeks, right? Anybody know where she is? Because nose needs finger to pick it, but it can't get there because elbow aiming around, right? Mouth needs nail to bite, right? But it can't get there because where's elbow? The members of the local church are to be interdependent of one another, we're not codependent, where we just take, 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 take from everybody, nor are we independent, where we exist like we don't need anybody. No, we are interdependent, which means we give and we receive grace from one another. And here's what's so beautiful. Human beings, we were created with that kind of community in mind that kind of friendship. When God created the world, Genesis 1, go with me, this is the one level deeper we're going in this, all right? He created humans uniquely different from the rest, and here's what he said, Genesis 1, 26. Look at, the, look at the pronouns again. Let us, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The original blueprint for a human was God reflecting on himself the beautiful mystery where God is one essence, but three persons, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, existing for all eternity in loving community together, enjoying one another, celebrating one another, exalting one another. And then God says, okay, the person that we're gonna create to be the crown jewel of creation, we gotta let them experience at least to some degree of this wonder that is the, the interdependent communion of the Godhead. So when he created one, the man, God said for the first time in all creation, something's not good. It's not good that he's alone. 
That was the first thing that wasn't good about everything was perfect. This is before sin enters. It's incomplete. Let's give him somebody so he can experience love, compassion, laughter, trust. Here you go, Adam, another person, a woman who is human, but is a different kind, same essence, different person. And God says, this is very good because now you can experience what you were uniquely made for. And that's right, regardless of how you express it. It's different for everybody. However you express it, you have a longing. I mean, way down there deep in your soul to be known and loved by other people. We all do. To love and to, and to be loved, to know and to be known. The reason, all the, I mean, just think about a recent um, American culture. All the most popular TV shows in all of our country's history are about friendships. You look, go home and look it up. Friends, Cheers, MASH, New Girl, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Golden Girls. It's all about friends who love each other no matter what. We watch it because we crave it and we crave it because we are manufactured for it. And we see the members of this local church in Acts 2 gathering, committed to one another and they're meeting together in two ways, in the formal way in the temple, that's where they sit under the apostles' teaching, what we now have as the scriptures. They came, to, they, they came together expecting to hear from God through the teaching of his word. And then they go and they meet together in one another's homes and they talk about the word. They talk about what they've heard. They talk about their kids' sports teams. They talk about the latest concert they went to with the hottest new artists in Jerusalem. They ate meals together. They knew one another. And they said, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you Sunday. I'll see you Wednesday. Because these people were committed to one another, to gathering together. They're gonna go to work. Look, they were gonna go to work and it was gonna be hard at work because a lot of people didn't share their faith, but they knew they could count on seeing one another and that got them through. Because when they saw one another, they were reminded of God's love for them. Y'all, that's because when you have genuine Christian community in the church, it will feed your soul. It'll feed your soul. I had a guy in my community group um, he said Thursday, uh, Courtney, Courtney was telling me this. I was with, with the kids and couldn't be there. I was like, man, I don't like it when I'm in the spot where I can't be at my normal gathering because it matters so much to, to me. And um, she articulated what I was feeling while I couldn't be there. He said um, he has a lot of nights where he doesn't want to be, be there at group. Group's on Thursday night for us. And he's an introvert. And he's like, man, it's Thursday. I've been working hard all week. I'm kind of, kind of tired, but I, there's, I often don't want to go. I get there among you guys, though, and I leave so glad I came. And that's because Jesus designed gospel-oriented community to replenish one another's souls. Now, I told you, we got to develop a regular rhythm around our church of gospeling one another. You know, you know what I'm saying? All I'm saying is look at that wheel that we have and say, okay, man, your identity is there and what God has done for you. How can, that, how can that encourage you? How can that breathe life into you? How can that shape the direction that you're heading today? Taking the hope of the gospel and speaking it over one another in everyday life moments. Uh, J.I. Packer said it this way, and the dude's really smart. Okay, so listen to this. Um, we should not think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury an optional addition to the exercises of private devotion. We should recognize rather that such fellowship is a spiritual necessity. 
For God has made us in such a way that our fellowship with himself is fed by our fellowship with Christians, with fellow Christians. That's just a restatement of Hebrews 10, 24. It says we don't give up meeting together is the habit of some, but instead of not meeting together, we don't just meet together. We're there to encourage one another with the love of Christ. You know, according to a um, March 2017 Gallup survey, People said, this is Americans, said the number one reason they don't attend church is that they like to worship on their own. That's the number one reason. What if that's because, y'all, they've never experienced the soul-nourishing power of worshiping with a committed body of believers in Jesus Christ? Man, what could that change? In fact, let me get right to the next thing we see the first church doing because it connects to what we're saying here. Uh, I wanna point you back to 44, 45. All the believers were together, held all things in common, sold their possessions and property, distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. When someone had a need, the church met it. The deacons, their job was to get the church organized, to meet one another's needs. We see that in Acts 6, and then every member of the church is helping out. Listen, here's the next thing I want you to see. The church practices sacrificial love for one another. This isn't surprising though, right? I mean, this is what a family does. I think about my own family. Last fall, we lost Courtney's dad and our church family, Mercy Church, our family sacrificed time, money, and energy to care for us. Came and cleaned our house. And what else did they do? Posted scripture all over our house. You cannot go into a room without scripture everywhere. That is reminding us of our identity in Christ. And we needed the tangible expression of that. And we got that. We were in need. When one of our members hits a rough patch and needs money for groceries or needs a place to stay for a while, we step in because we're the church. We step in in emergencies, but we don't only step in in emergencies. We serve one another. It's to be our posture towards one another. Paul says something um, fascinating, Galatians 5, about serving one another, this kind of sacrificial love. Look at this, verse 13, Galatians 5. You were called to be free. That's the beauty of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. He's saying, Jesus has won your freedom from having to obey a bunch of laws to earn God's approval. You're free from that drudgery because Christ has won your freedom. You're reconciled to God now that you're reconciled to God. You're, the chains of sin are broken from you. The chains of that law that you're bound are broken. Now, what do you do with that freedom? Do you use it as an opportunity to serve yourself or to serve others? There. Right there, the answer to that question, Paul says, that'll reveal your heart and what's going on inside of it. And it's where you'll find true life too. In other words, we don't serve one another out of guilt-motivated duty, but from a place of gospel-motivated joy. So what does this look like? In practice, serving one another in the body of Christ means you count on others and they count on you. So let me ask you something. In the church, here at Mercy Church, who's counting on you to show up? And who are you counting on? Yeah, that's why we do ministry teams here at Mercy on the weekend. It's to create easy on-ramps for people to count on you and you to count on others. Interdependent community. When the gathering starts to be something you own instead of something you just attend, it changes everything about it, doesn't it? Man, this would revolutionize church for some of y'all. The average church goer, uh, according to a Pew Research Forum study, the average church goer attends church 1.8 times per month. Why? Well, if we assume the best because, because we're good friends with one another, we say that, well, you come when you can. 
And let's say they leave thinking every time, man, that was, that was really good. Well, it's good, but if that remains their view of church only, when the, the church will kind of face a dilemma, won't it? If we make the experience better, here's what the church starts to think. We make the experience better. Maybe we could get them from 1.8 to 2.4 or something like that. And yes, we should do things with excellence, but what's our motivation? Our motivation should be to help you follow Jesus. So actually the best thing I can do to help you grow as a follower of Jesus is to call you to be present with your brothers and sisters in the church and then help you find a place where you can serve your brothers and sisters in the church. And we serve in teams. And the reason we do that is because that way you're in the trenches with a few other folks. And there in the trenches, when you're doing a task alongside one another, that's where you start to find community, right? You have a common mission that you're working towards together. You got some people you can count on and they're counting on you. Now, listen, I want to show you, uh, I want to show you this last thing, this last verse, verse 47. We got to wrap this thing up. One more thing I want you to see. Uh, it is just beautiful. I hope you can tell because I, <laughs> I'm sweating a little bit. I, I'm so passionate about this um, for our church and this vision. And verse 47 kind of guides a whole lot of it. Um, Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, question. Hey, hey, look, that's what we all want to be a part of. At least I do. I want to be a part of that kind of church where we see the Lord add to the number daily those who are being saved. How did this happen though? It wasn't like the church was gathered over behind the wall and the Lord had some spiritual catapult that he would sit someone in, cock that thing back and there's another one added to him. Of course not. No, the Christians were around non-Christians who were, and they were practicing these gospel rhythms in front of them. And the non-Christians got to see them loving one another, committed to gathering with one another, serving one another, and doing all of this not because they had to, but because they got to. And people who don't know Christ see that and they're drawn to it because they are created for it. And something inside of them says, that's something I want. I want to be fully known and fully loved and participating in those kinds of friendships. And we're saying, of course, that's what you're created for. You can find it first in Christ. And then here's a church. So here's the way we say it. The church welcomes the outsider because we were once all outsiders. That's why we talk about evangelism in the language of who is your one. We recognize the way they are likely going to come to know Christ is through some kind of combination of hearing the gospel, right? Where we are gathered together and then walking alongside of you and seeing how this really affects your life. Basically seeing whether you live that which you are resting and claiming to rest your life on. That's the church. Kind of an open book of people testifying to what God has done for us and willingly giving our lives away for others in response to that joy. And listen, I will just acknowledge before I close, to get that close to other people or to a group of people might be a challenge for you. But that's how friendship is built. Is built. Vulnerability and time turn people who have a relationship into people who have a friendship. That's what friendship is. Vulnerability across time. And a bunch of us together practicing that while leaning into ultimately who we are in Christ and allowing who God says we are in Christ to shape who we are individually and together. That's the church God created. And the only way you can put yourself out there 
into the church is to find your security in Christ. Listen, this is particularly, this whole topic is, I've noticed, harder for me as a, as a lead pastor than it ever was in any previous role I had. Because I fear if I'm vulnerable, then I'm exposed as having flaws and I won't be seen worthy to be a pastor. But what's the alternative for me? Distant friendships with people who don't see my day-to-day and I can kind of craft who I am, who, who I want them to think I am? The other option would be what, total isolation? It's just not worth it. I'm a shepherd, yes, and yes, held to a higher standard because of it. But the scripture says, I'm a forgiven sinner in need of community for the health of my soul. So I dive in and I trust others as I dive in. And that's hard, but the alternative is way worse. The road of the enemy is independence from everyone else. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his picture of hell and the great divorce, you know what it is? It's houses getting farther and farther apart from one another. The goal of Christianity is ultimately dependence on, on God himself. And where is God? He is in the church, connecting one another together. The church is the bride of Christ. So I wanna call you into that kind of community as scary as that might be. So let me give you a second to respond to this and I'll lead you in just a, a brief word of prayer and I'll pray over you. Would you bow your heads and, and pray with me? And would you, before I pray, I want you to just sit and listen maybe to the Holy Spirit for a second. Say, God, what are you calling me towards? How do I respond to this? If you're not a Christian, God is calling you home today. He's not telling you to do good enough to earn your spot in the church. Of course not. The church is a hospital for the sick, not a resort for the healthy. He's saying, come, now that you're here, receive my love. I died for you on the cross. I defeated the power of death when I rose from the grave. All I have is yours. Receive my love. Welcome home, daughter. Welcome home, son. Christian, what's he calling you towards? God, I pray that we would be a church that actively seeks to gospel one another, encourage one another with who we are, with what you have done for us. Help us to look for those moments and have courage to take those moments and use them to your glory. I pray for men and women who are trying to figure out now how to get off the sidelines and, and serve, help some, find a place where people count on me and I count on them. God, thank you for this great gift, your, your bride. We know that we'll never fully live up to it. So thank you, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. What a powerful, gracious God we serve. And we praise you in the mighty name of Christ, amen.